If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet is of utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here is your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome, everyone, to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. It's Memphis here, and it's sunny, and I hope it's sunny where you are, outside and inside. Joining me in the studio is my wife, Kira, and professional dog trainer extraordinaire, Joshua Huffmaster. Today, we're going to talk about communication. That's everything. I mean, everything. Look at all the people around you. Every moment, there's either information being sent to you, or you're sending it. Advertisements, emails, text, watching a movie. That's a message being sent to you. Songs, you name it. I mean, good Lord, you can't escape it. Even when I go out into the wild, I still have a squirrel throwing a pine cone at me saying, hey, get, get out of here. Go, go back to where you were. It's constant. Communication just doesn't end. It, end. it just keeps going. But I will tell you this much. When it breaks down, it's all downhill from there. It's bad. It is. I mean, and I'm probably dating myself here, but one of my favorite movies of all time was Cool Hand Luke. Maybe it's because we, I look a little bit like Paul Newman and you know, things like that, cool like him. Uh, but <laughs> a failure to communicate ended for him being placed in a hot box called the oven. Uh, but for your dog, a failure to communicate properly with your dog will perhaps get it in a hot crate and definitely you possibly in a hot mess. Yep. So communication has to happen. It just does. And it's vitally important to dog training. In previous episodes, we talked about clearing up the confusion in dog training. Then we moved on to the critical mistakes that, that people make when they're trying to train their dogs. Now we're going to talk about another problem with dog training, improper communication. I mean, Hey, you, you've got to do it, and it's got to come across to your dog, and your dog has to be able to interpret. So, speaking of that, communicating, I'm just going to kind of, I'm looking over here at Joshua over here. He's staring back at me, and I'm just, I'm wondering if he's, are, are you picking up what I'm putting down? I'm, I'm down with it. So, you get my drift. Floating by, brother. You get mine? I got five on it. Cool. Sly. Got to fly. Fair deuce. All right, so a lot of you out there are probably going, what the heck was yeah, that? Yeah, and that's, was that was the intent of that. <laughs> Is there a big question mark? I know what I was saying to Joshua. He knows what I was saying to him. We were able to send, interpret, and then respond. That is vitally important. And one thing that we have to understand is that we must always, as we put out on the show 50 million times, it's not a little person in a fur coat that you're talking to. I got news for you. Humans are the only creatures on this planet that have language. Dogs don't have language. Therefore, minus language, there's no guarantee that they will always understand what you're saying. And they certainly can't interpret sentences. They will plug or pluck, I should say, Certain words, certain sounds, certain looks, certain movements, everything. And then 
that information flow will go down a funnel and then boom, now they'll either respond or not. But how many times you see people literally reading a paragraph to their dog? Well, how else are you <laughs> supposed to tell them who's a good boy? Well, <laughs> indeed, I don't, I don't go through an entire paragraph of adjectives. Uh, Captain, you are so debonair. You are a handsome boy today. Oh, what a great chap you are. He would understand every word of that. <laughs> well, that's because you say that to him every day. You tell him that. He gets more of those than I do. <laughs> You know, I remember that one time you were saying that, and I was in the other room, and I said, gosh, thank you, honey. Appreciate it. <laughs> and then I realized, well, here you go, communication breakdown. She was talking to the dog. <laughs> well, that happened to me yesterday. Clients, I was holding dog, and they go, what a handsome boy. And I said, why, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, next week, we'll be talking about imagery you know, what's in your mind what do you visualize uh, let alone communicate what do you visualize in your head okay but it's important to understand that dogs don't have language they really don't and dogs also don't have what we have as humans called theory of mind theory of mind case in point this past winter if Kira looks outside and again she'll say it's snowing and I being from Alaska will say if you don't have to shovel it, it's not snow. But by golly, any little white thing floating down, there's Kira standing at the window with her arms folded across her chest saying, it's snowing. That is snow. It qualifies. Okay. Maybe for a Southerner, but it doesn't qualify for someone from Alaska. <laughs> uh, but anyway, what I typically, the way I respond to this is I ask her, do you want me to turn up the heat? Because she always wants me to turn up the heat in the house. But what happened there was her saying that she saw snow and holding her arms across her chest, me with having the ability of theory of mind, meaning I can presume intentionality behind what she said. So therefore, I asked her if she'd like me to turn up the heat. And it'd be no different if you had a coworker or a family member who says to you, I smell coffee. And you may respond, would you like some? Happens all the time. This is called theory of mind. This is where we can encode a message and send it to someone. And then when they receive it, they decode it. It's why we use certain colors for certain signs or whatever, because you could go to a foreign country and see a certain colored sign and know, ooh, I need to take caution here due to the color of the sign. I have no idea what it says, but due to the color of it, I know I either need to halt or stop or something like that. That theory of mind applies to just basic colors that we see. And I'm glad you brought that up because we're going to get into that very point. I'm going to use that as an example to explain stereotyping a signal. Uh, but dogs don't have theory of mind. Yeah, sometimes you'll also hear it uh, uh, as, again, as presumed intentionality. We hear it a lot of times with people when they say to their dogs or they'll say to me, but Brian, he knew what I meant. Are you sure? Dogs don't usually make it a habit of responding incorrectly. Uh, they may not do what you want them to do, but they've learned that they didn't have to. But they're not going to sit there and make the wrong uh, or choose the wrong answer. They're going to respond accordingly. So dogs don't necessarily know what you meant. They may have, meaning I say sit, but if they don't sit, it may be because there's not enough motivation to sit. Something else is 
vying for their attention, their motivation than what I'm doing, what I'm trying to get them to do. So we have to be very careful of that. We see that a lot. Uh, we have a client who he would return home every day. He, was, he had this new puppy and he was housebreaking it. But he let this puppy out to run around free in his home. Bad advice. Okay, so don't do that because now the puppy is free to, of course, relieve itself when it needs to. Uh, he'd come home and his puppy would greet him at the door, all excited, jumping up, barking, everything. But lo and behold, there would be several messes on the floor. And he would take his puppy to it and show the puppy and then discipline the puppy for going potty in the house. We talked about this last week. Timing. Timing is everything. Well, soon after about the third day, the, the puppy would no longer greet him at the door because his arrival at home has become the predictor to the punishment that occurred. That's a breakdown in communication. That is a breakdown in timing, but timing is everything in communication as well. And unfortunately, the dog didn't know what he meant when he said, bad dog, don't go potty, whatever. They don't get that until that is taught to them. And I always use the example, think of going to a foreign country. You don't have language there. Suddenly, you don't. And now look what you fall back on. You do have the ability to read, and that helps immensely, especially when you pull up that app with the eye translate and everything else. <laughs> it comes up wrong, kind of like the autocorrect, and you don't always interpret things properly, and you start getting all mad and going, dog, to me not. And then your facial expression takes over and everything goes from there. Okay, but it's important to understand that they don't always know what you mean. So how do we teach that? So you can't even, just to take a step back, you can't even take them back to the mess that they made, point to it and say, did you do that? Remind them. It's not going to work that way. No. no. If you could do that, you could have them selecting proper stocks for you to invest in <laughs> and other things. It, that, now you're human. Now you just became human. Uh, they don't have that. So you just got to trust that. You have to believe in it. We have to get very specific, very specific. Know this, among animals, communication is asymmetric. And it's not modulated by mental representation. And sometimes you'll hear it known as representational ideation or basically a conduit metaphor. So not to get too deep into science, it's asymmetric, meaning in their world, communication is a form of behavior. It's an association between the sender signal and the receiver's behavior as a consequence of the signal. That's what they do. So, Joshua, back to your lights. So, even if I go to a foreign country, and I've been to a lot of them, you're right. When I was driving a vehicle there, I would stop whenever the light was red. And sometimes I was praying, going... That was the right move, correct? Because I see a car come up behind me really fast, and I'm wondering, did I just create a problem here? Am I about to get hit? And that's your theory of mind actually kind of screwing with you because now you're overthinking it going, well, maybe their red isn't the same red. And, you know, but ultimately, it's a human thing. That's how we it, understand it. It is. And thank goodness that someone got together worldwide and said, hey, for the benefit of all of us, let's make standard stereotyped signals that we all respond to. And think about yourself. When you pull up to a red light, think about it here. Do you have to stop your conversation on the phone? Yeah, you know you do it. 
Do you have to get off and tell your foot to get off the gas, press the brake? No. You see signal, you respond. Car comes to a stop, foot goes to brake automatically. And then you keep responding to that signal until you receive another signal. And then the foot comes off the brake, back onto the accelerator, and you move through the intersection. We respond to signals all the time. You approach someone, you hold out your hand, they stop. You don't even have to be in the same country, understand the language, their culture, even where you are. You see someone suddenly point at you with an open, flat hand, come to a stop. That's called signals. And that's asymmetric, meaning that person who held out their hand, they did so not to start a a two-way communication with you, a long conversation. They simply did it to influence your behavior. And that's what animals operate off of. Out in the wild, you chatter too much. You're too loud. You're too vocal. You make too much noise. Guess what you don't get? You don't get to eat. But there you go. Little bunny rabbit. Yes. It's a big game of hide and seek. I'm going to be quiet because I don't want to be eaten by you. I, in turn, am going to be quiet because I need to eat you. It's a big game of calories in, calories out. And hence... Due to pressure, due to the pressure that that ecosystem put on these mammals, required them to be quiet. Be quiet. Why do people go to the wild? Yes, you will get some noise. I do get squirrels throwing pine cones at me. I do hear the caw of a crow. I do hear the the moo of a elk when I go up north. But however... Those are only during certain situations, when there's strength in numbers, when there's mating happening, when there's a need to have auditory signals. But during the rest of the time, that's why people go out there and say, wow, it's so peaceful. It's so quiet out here. Yeah. (laughs) You can't advertise, hey, I'm a big wolf and I'm hungry. So here I come. So everyone else is gone. They're gone. I remember going through some survival training in the military. And, of course, it was way up north of Brunswick, Maine, in the middle of nowhere. Couldn't even begin to tell you where it was. And they offloaded 20 guys out of a bus. They said, start making all these traps. Trap these animals so you guys have something to eat. Okay. You know what the 20 guys did when they hopped off the bus? They're all talking. They're all chatting. Hey, do you know how to make this thing? Do you know how to do this little deadfall? Have you, do you know where this limb goes and where this fishing line goes? So, of course... Every animal within about 100 miles, they're gone. (laughs) Absolutely gone. They got the signal and they're out there. All right. So back to this, we have communication among animals is asymmetric. So when you talk to your dog, it's fun. I get it. We do talk to our dogs. I do so as well. I tell them all the time, boy, way to go, dude. You're the man. I I do stuff all the time. I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. I am going to drop kick you in the next week if you bite me again. There's all sorts of communication that occurs back and forth. <laughs> but when I need them, I really do say, hey, this is it. And we talked about before, leadership is not divided. It's not distributed. I send a signal for the same reason that a dog would send a signal to me, to influence 
their behavior, to influence that behavior. And that's the entire intent of my signal. It is asymmetric. It is going unbalanced. I send it. Now it's up to you to either respond to it as a consequence of me sending that signal or not. So that's how it works back and forth with that regard. That's their world, guys. You didn't get to pick it. I didn't get to pick it. It's simply how it works. I I was just going to say that, you know, the dog saying, giving some sort of signal to influence your behavior, that applies across the board with anything and everything. A lot of people ask, you know, why does my dog paw at me or when I'm sitting down, how do I get them to stop pawing at me? How do I get to stop? Well, ask yourself what your response is directly after they do that behavior. Is it something that they desire? Is that why they're doing that? Because you can pretty, you can curb that by giving them something that they don't want. So they, they didn't stop. Okay. Well, that didn't influence their behavior the way I wanted it to. So, but it, across the board, it's just a, a matter of um, a lot of people asking, why does my dog do this? Why do my, well, ask yourself, what do you do after your dog does that? Amen. Every, every signal a dog sends is there with a purpose from that dog. Now, they're not going to encode it. For example, if a dog snarls or growls, they're not running through a neurobiological sequence of steps. And again, I remember that one movie, was it Sherlock Holmes? And before he would fight someone, this was the newer one with uh, Rodney Downey Jr., mm. he'd think right hand to the ribs, <laughs> left hand to the kneecap, <laughs> other hand to the eyeballs. In other words, he thought it out nine steps before it, and it all happened like in a second and a half. Well, dogs aren't running through a step-by-step situation. Simply, they got a signal, maybe it's your approach, and they respond right then and there. They send a signal to you. Now it's up to you to respond back or not. And receiving is always up to the recipient or, or, or responding, simply re- reacting out to the signal that's being sent or not. That, that can be, that's really going, always going to be up to you. But however, it's the sender who has the capacity to influence the behavior the most. Really neat how it works, but very simple. And again, we want to keep training simple because anything that is simple gets done. Easier to use. Uh, you all apply it more often and therefore there will be no breakdowns in communication. All right, guys, speaking of communication, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back and we're going to keep moving down this road here. And so that you understand by the time the show's over, how you need to properly communicate to your dog. And you can apply it to your family members as well. All right, so we're going to take a short break here. Until then, sit, stay. Now, that was a signal. You need to respond. Be back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, 
and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email if you prefer to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Free. So you can break up out of that sit-stay. While we're on break, we were talking to uh, our uh, people that are out on Facebook Live, and Kira brought up a, a good example that I think so many people can relate to. And because we were discussing theory of mind, counterfactual conditioning, so on and so forth, uh, with the and how it must be so different. I, I almost wish I didn't have that. I really kind of on some days, and I love being in the wild, and I love just simply responding to what is sent to me. You don't have to think about it very much. You're just right there in that moment, boom, there's a signal, you respond. Uh, but we do have theory of mind, and it is useful. And there are times in which, again, as being a human, we have a difficult time understanding what it's like not to be human. That's why so many research programs, uh, data that is sent to pet owners, is just not pure. It's tainted by the human bias. It's just really difficult. So, Kara, share with us uh, that example that you're talking about. Well, I was just talking about how it's difficult to sometimes grasp the fact that the, the dogs don't have theory of mind because when I look at the rats, I, they know when I don't feel well. When I'm suffering from a migraine, they know it and they just want to be with me and I feel like they want to comfort me. So it's, it is hard to look at them and, and think that they don't have theory of mind. They don't know what's, what's going on all the time. It's, it's, but I'm sure it's a signal I'm giving them. Well, let's think about it this way. So we're planning a trip. We're going to go somewhere. <laughs> Now, have you had this discussion with the, the rats? And once again, they're, they're two little morkies. Have you had this discussion with them? No, I don't have to tell them that we're going on a trip because as soon they, as we get the suitcases out. 
bingo. Yeah. <laughs> there is the signal. Our, we have a dog that ha- the exact same thing happens. We can be cleaning the house, whatever. She'll be fine. But as soon as there's a change that's about to happen, Megan and I have not been able to pinpoint the exact detail of what triggers her. All of a sudden, she's gone. She's hiding. She's There's nowhere to be found. But we don't know exactly what that trigger is because we don't put her in a carrier or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But well, uh, And with the rats, when they're going to go get groomed, I bring in the crate, I put it on the floor. One of them darts right in and the other one is gone. There you go. She's nowhere to be found. Now you're answering your own question or when you wonder, it's a signal. You act different when you're ill. It's the old, can't grab the leash without... uh, without the dogs losing their mind issue. There you go. So many of them. We, we had a seminar called Pups in Pregnancy. And what is the biggest stressor? That mom and dad suddenly change. Mm-hmm. They're up at 2 a.m. They used to never be up at 2 a.m. They're stressed. They're stressed. And dogs pick up on this. And we would too if we didn't have language. But because we do, we are so distracted by it. We concentrate so much on what is being said than we do. What's the tilt of that head? What did that mean? You just blinked your eye. Why is your face so red? This and, you know, we all the time. Just imagine how better we would understand and be able to communicate if we didn't have language. If we just studied each other. And we may find out with all the texting and emailing, we just may find that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, one thing as far as communication goes, and this is a fact, uh, our teenager just the other day said, my handwriting is so bad that he can't communicate with handwriting because everyone's using a keypad now. Yeah. They're, they're typing yes. everything. It's a breakdown. But let's hop back into the dogs here and let's talk about this because it's really important. It's okay and fun to think of theory of mind. Again, I get it. We own dogs because they're supposed to lower our blood pressure, make us smile, make our lives more enjoyable. Got it. Know it. Let's get on to now, however, if for to be fair to the dog, I want to make sure they understand that they are picking up what I'm putting down. That's vitally important because so many dogs are euthanized, sent to the shelters, rehomed, everything, because their owners fail to communicate to them in a way that an animal would learn, not a human. They expected them to learn like a human. They expected them to pick up when they chastise them with two sentences long. Don't you ever do that again. You go in my closet and you grab my sock out there and chew on my sock again. You're going to be in trouble, little fellow. You understand me? Now, give me a break. No, I don't no. even know any three-year-olds I'll, I'll <laughs> interpret that and, and be able to do it. Okay, so let's move on. So when I said a while ago, in their world, communication is a form of behavior. It really is. So let me give you an example I just drew up here. Dog A, again, not having theory of mind, being unable to predict dog B's mental state. So there you go. You can't. It's just, it's just, there you go. Red light doesn't chat to me. It doesn't have a conversation with me for the two minutes I sit there. It sends a signal. So dog A being unable to predict dog B's mental state sends a signal, again, not to establish a two-way communication, but to influence B's behavior. B interprets a signal and responds, or it doesn't. I walk up to people all the time just to use an example, and I say, scuba not. 
And you should see the looks I get. Sometimes they just start laughing, but most times there is that I just checked out look. (laughs) (laughs) I have no clue what that is, and therefore they do not respond. Um, So there you go. It's just a little example I get. Uh, But always keep in mind that I have the capacity, if I send a signal, to influence the behavior. We have that capacity with our dogs. That's called proper training proper training. Uh, So let's talk about that. Moving on to there. I don't know if you're familiar with semiotics, and I'm not going to get into a big lengthy scientific debate about semiotics, but it's really important because it is the study of signs, signals, symbols, and what have you. These are what animals use. So think of it like this. I can't draw it for you, so I'm going to draw it mentally. Here we go. I'm going to communicate to you. Semiotics operates off of three main parts. So draw yourself a triangle on a piece of paper. There's, first of all, there's a signal itself. And then there's an interpreted. How do you interpret that signal? And then there's a referent. Why do you interpret it the way you, you do? So businesses use this all the time to communicate to us when we can't have a two-way conversation with them. Case in point, you're driving down the road, you're hungry, and you see golden arches. Okay, that is a sign. And your interpretation is McDonald's. And why the referent? Because I've eaten there before. So this is called brand building, communicating to you. It's like a billboard that doesn't have words. It just throws up a logo, and there you have it. Uh, Target, the big bullseye. Yeah, remember we talked about that last night. We saw the commercial for Target, and I thought it was so interesting. They didn't have to put the name of their business on the commercial anywhere. All they needed was the bullseye. Yeah, it's going to be like that with Tame the Wild too, right, everyone? <laughs> you, you see that little Tame the Wild logo? You're going to know great dog training, really smart host, radio host, uh, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. So that's going to be your interpretation and your reference because you're listening to these radio shows. All right. One thing that when you draw your triangle, do me a favor. In the beginning, make sure the lines connecting the symbol or the sign with the interpreted and the referent are dotted lines. They're dotted. Why? Because we have conceptual distance or a lack of clear understanding. Case in point, very first time you ever say sit to a dog. Okay, you're going to get that same look I get from the people when I say scuba not. Uh, can you help me with that, please? <laughs> Just a little <laughs> bit of help here. And next thing you know, you either use a treat to lure it and push it over the dog's head or you push on their little behind. And either way, you create a set. And then, bam, good dog. Way to go. And you do this over and over and over again. And with every dog, depending upon their intelligence level, their maturity level, all comes into factor. At some point, you say sit. You see dogs butt hit the ground because they interpret set means put my behind on the ground. Don't move. Why? I've done it 500 times before. That's how it gets done. That's all, all day, every day. Uh, there's a couple rule order. Actually, before I get to that, let me just kind of cover that real quickly because then a lot of people say, well, my dog will respond off of just hand signals. Get it. We just finished training two dogs that were completely deaf. So, therefore, you don't get to use an auditory signal. 
And <laughs> you, you prefer training the dogs that, that don't hear, right? I mean, Amen. And I'm going to talk about in a second as to why I do prefer it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's easier, but like you said, we'll get to it in a moment. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. So signals, think about it. Even with humans, if I reach over now and touch Kara on her shoulder and then touch Joshua on his shoulder, that's a haptic signal. Now, maybe my intent is to draw their attention, but during the show, that's usually a kick to their shins when I see them drifting off on me, okay? (laughs) But that's a haptic signal. It's a touch. Signals for dogs come in the same variety as humans. Visual, number one. I wrote a blog on this, and you can go to our website on the radio page, and there's a link right to it, or just go to the blog page, and it's titled, I See, I Learn. I did a little playoff. I used the word E-Y-E to play off. I see, I learn. Dogs learn through visual input, number one, by far. Most of their learning occurs through visual. Then number two is touch. Touch me. Think about it when they were young, 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 one week, two week old, three week old, eyes aren't open. Their whole world are learning right then, right then from touch. And they're learning from olfactory. And then all of a sudden, boom, the eyes open up at about four to five weeks. And next thing you know, we have our young puppies going through their first fear period. Wow, what is that? Holy cow, this is amazing and scary at the same time. Uh, So visual, haptic, olfactory, sense of smell, and auditory. But their learning occurs directly in that order. So keep that in mind. So, yes, your dog will respond off of visual input, sometimes by design, meaning if I wave my hand a certain way, maybe that's my way of teaching a dog to lie down when it sees that hand wave. Um, For a long time, people have always been like blown away when they see that my dog is trained on hand signals. They're like, you train hand signals too? That's the coolest thing. So, that's just us putting our human kind of vision on it that, oh, of course, the dog should be talked to is the easiest way, not not the visuals, but... We use what we have. Right, yeah. What we're comfortable with. We only have our own experience, so of course... There you go. Yeah. Amen. And, and sometimes the visual gets in the way because they learn. We talk about it all the time. Uh, case in point, we were working with a German Shepherd while well, it was about two months ago. Yeah. And I said, Joshua, this dog needs its eyes more than its ears. It was picking up on lying down from you bending at the torso before the word down. Uh, keep that in mind. It's really good when you're first training your dog to use a lot of visual movements, a lot of movements, big exaggerated movements. Because what you're doing is they're going to interpret that before they connect the dot to the word. They always do. You know, we, we talk about the, the rats with the suitcases and your dog when there's something wrong. And I wrote about the time in which I owned a dog. If I thought about leaving my house, if I thought about it, he was at the front door. So, of course, I'm scratching my head going, what the heck? He's a mind reader. Mm-hmm. Since my dog is special. He can read minds. Well, no, he didn't. It took me a little bit to figure it out. But the trigger was me subtly touching my back left pocket, which is the home of my wallet when I leave. And I didn't even know I was doing that. But again, that dog picked up on that and was immediately at the front door wanting to go. So they, they, 
So sometimes we end up giving signals that we don't even mean. Right. How many times have you seen somebody say, oh, my, no, my dog knows how to sit or my dog knows how to down. And then they'll show you. And when they do it, they tilt their head or, or they look with their head or they do this. And you go, okay, well, now just point straight ahead. Don't move a muscle in your body and say it and see if the dog does it. Yeah. And just uh, building off the last episode, which Carrie used <clears throat> example where a client would place her dog in a sit stay, walk 20, 30 feet away, turn face the dog and say, come. Yep. But guess what? An animal who learns with its eyes before its ears soon said, I don't need my ears. Mm -hmm. I don't need to hear that word. You turn and face me. I am on my way. Uh, again, keep it this into account. Visual first, touch second, olfactory, then auditory. Keep that in your line because that is truly how it works. Again, unless they're, they're deaf. Um, and also know that there are no, I'm just say this three times in a row and not, not make a mistake. There are no single signals. <laughs> That's really <laughs> difficult. So uh, I'm trying to think of how other way to, to put that, but there are, they don't just come by themselves. Mm -hmm. Even the red light, look at it. If you saw a red flash of a light, just a flash hanging in the air or just went by you while you're driving, are you going to stop your car? No, not me. I probably think someone's got a laser beam pointed at me or <laughs> shoot me. But the, the issue is that it's that red light that is now parked above two other lights and a rectangular box suspended over an intersection. These are the multitude of signals you receive. Hence why someone can drive, yet they're colorblind. Mm -hmm. Because all they have to know is the position of the light. So there are many, and the same thing happens with our dogs. Same thing. You are never going to just give one signal to your dog. But we'll talk in a second how to make sure that is the one that they respond to, not the multitude of other signals that are flowing into their brain at that moment. But to kind of give an example, I really gave a little example here of a signal suite. You have an adult dog who nips a tormenting puppy. So this puppy's pounced on this adult dog and adult dog just goes and just gives it this little nip. Well, that nip is signal one. So we'll call it S1. And the puppy stops and leaves. So the dog, the adult dog was able to influence the puppy's behavior. But then the puppy returns because, you know, the nip wasn't that bad. And the puppy returns back. Uh, so the puppy leaving is R1, response one. So it responded to S1. And when the puppy returns, this time the dog growls. <clears throat> but the puppy, not understanding what a growl means, I've never experienced that before continues doing its behavior. It does not respond to the growl because I can't interpret what the growl is. So the adult immediately follows up with S1 again. So now we had S2, the growl, now followed by S1, the nip, equals R1, just like a math equation. And from that, now S2, which was the growl, now means S1, is right behind it. And now it has meaning. Now there's interpretation. So it'd be like you taking a leash and your dog is doing something that you don't like. Maybe it's chewing on a piece of furniture or whatever. And a lot of mistakes that people will do will say no, then pop. No. Act like the adult dog. Pop. 
then no. So you give a little snap on the leash, then no. Because now, just like the adult dog, next time, no. And no snap on the leash. Because the dog interprets that when I hear no, guess what's coming next? The snap on the leash. Don't you wish parents would do that? I'm not necessarily snap on the leash, although I sometimes it may work. But how many times do you hear just the S2? A lot of growling, growling. and no biting. Yes. And no following up yes. with, with a bite yeah. whatsoever. You told me that story a while back. Sorry to get off topic. But you told me that story about your son. You threw that pillow at him when they started to draw on the wall. Yes. My, I was in the back room with my wife the other day, and she goes, <gasps> she realized that she had left our son in the front room with crayons. And so we oh. run, we take off running. And as I'm running, I grab the pillow just out of you telling me that story because I'm ready to throw that. Amen. <laughs> and yeah, and got scolded and said, your son is yeah. not a dog. But I beg to differ at that age. You act just like yeah. a dog. You learn like one. You got a signal and you did respond and it's all good from there. Okay, guys, we're going to take another short break. When we get back, we're going to wrap this thing up because there are rules that you have to apply when you're communicating to your dog. These are vital rules. So stay tuned. We're going to come back and wrap this thing up. So in the meantime, sit, stay. We'll be back in a second. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email if you prefer to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now back to the show. 
Welcome back, everyone. We're talking about communication, and we are communicating to you. All right, we went over semiotics. So we're using these little symbols, a signal. You send your dog a signal, come. And the interpretation is to return to you. Why? Because you've called your dog back to you 500 times. Now, a couple of rules if you want that to occur. Number one, we've talked about it already. If you're going to give your dog a signal, you want to teach a command. Let's call it just a command, just to make it really simple here. You want to teach your dog a command, for example, to come. To come to you when you call it. Number one, you must stereotype the signal. We already gave examples of the red light and everything else. So you can't say come today, here tomorrow, and then the next person says come here. It has to be stereotyped. So the initial signals have to be stereotyped. If you're going to use your body, then you have to use your body the same way initially all the time. Now, it's not enough just to send that signal because, again, remember, your job is to influence the dog's behavior. So now you've only done half the job. Here's the other part. And listen to this because I tell you, you must do this. You have to stereotype their response. Now, I get it. Intelligent animals learn through exploration, through curiosity, sometimes through mimicry. However, your job is to make sure that what they discover is the ability to return to you every single time they hear that word come. Every time. So that means you're putting on a line on the dog, short leash, then a long leash, using equipment that will guarantee the response. I tell people all the time that if my four and a half year old cattle dog, if he saw and heard you calling your dog and your dog did not go back to you, if he did have language, he would look at me and go, uh, you can do that? <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. When was that an option? Why? Because from the very beginning, rolled up the sleeves, got after it, and made sure I never gave a signal that I could not make happen. And when you do that, that leads to a fixed action pattern. Hence, you hear the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yes, I sure hope that I want to continue to use the word come for captain to come to us. Because if I want to get fancy, and use here, like in German or EC, like in French or whatever. It's just not going to work I'm, it, because I've got him fixed on yes. come. Uh, so that is the number one rule. You're, you must stereotype the signal and, and the response. That is the biggest mistake that people make. And they jump off of that way too soon, way too soon. I think they do that because it's inconvenient. Yes. It's grossly inconvenient to have a dog in your household that always has a long line on them. It just is. But it is but. not always. It, and that's just it. It's just a, it's a means to achieve the end. Yes. yes. Captain, what was he, about 20 months of age before we got ready to take the long line off of him? Yeah, probably. Yeah. And it now Tony has, has his on him. It, well, he's a Siberian Husky. <laughs> he is not a cattle dog. Yeah, he'll be six years old and still dragging around a long line. That's just the difference that we talk about intelligence. However, <laughs> we are practicing what we preach. And guess what we get? We get an animal with fixed action patterns associated with commands. 
which increases that animal's quality of life and our quality of life, not to mention safety, especially when we're out in the public. Now, again, singles come in a variety, and sometimes life will do its own stereotyping. Case in point, that same cattle dog that I've been bragging on bugs the daylights out of us because why at four o'clock every day, he's bumping into us, sending us a signal, wanting to influence our behavior, so we'll get up and go feed him. Why? Because that happens during that time every day, and it happened like that because of routines, and next thing you know, without us even knowing it, guess what set in? A fixed pattern. And even when the time changes, it just seems to happen right at that same time. You know he can tell time. Oh, <laughs> Alrighty then, no comment on that. Uh, then the next rule is be prepared to raise the signal in the presence of noise. Now, so what is noise? Noise means not only do you give a multitude of signals to your dog, even though you're only saying the word sit, even though you're only saying the word come, there are still a multitude of signals coming into the dog, not just you, the way you tilt your head, turn your body, so on and so forth. But the fact that you just happen to say come right when someone shut their car door, right when a car drove by, right when a bird started chirping, when a dog started barking four houses down. There, unless you're in a specially designed room, like a think tank, there are no single signals. Man, I want to give myself a pat for being able to say that twice. Like individual signals. There you yeah, go. Maybe yeah, that's yeah. the word I should use. Yeah. Well, remember that, smart. that puppy that you guys were training back in the big room during that thunderstorm? Yes. And oh. Yeah. And it, yeah. And sometimes it happens like mm-hmm. that. We, they, it increased the signal. Mm-hmm. And what Kira's referring to is we had one of our trainers work with a six-month-old gold retriever. And we have a big glass uh, garage door. And during that day, it was storming. And right about the time he said, come and gave a little pull on the leash to because the dog had no clue what come was so he's going to reel the dog into him right when he did that there's this horrendous boom and a flash of light from a lightning i think i almost think i barely was struck by lightning but the issue is that the dog immediately paired that flash of light that boom with the trainer and would have nothing to do with that trainer from that point forward. I had to take over that lesson, mm-hmm. finish it, and do the other two that they'd already paid for. Uh, this happens in gun dog schools. A lot of dogs are washed out because they have uh, a phobia or they become very fearful of the shotgun blast or the instructor that just happened to fire off the shotgun a little bit too close to the dog. So, again, here comes signals back and forth. But what I'm saying is this. You put your dog in a state, and it's doing great. but then. Ding dong, doorbell rings. Now, your dog knows the ding dong. Ding dong is a signal meaning the arrival of humans. And for many dogs, that means, yay, I get to go jump on them. I get to greet them. They pet me. They give me a treat after I've jumped on them five times. But every time I put my butt on the ground, someone gives me a reward. So these humans are vending machines. And I can't wait to go. Well, here's something about a canine brain. And Actually, you attach it to a human brain. If your brain can interpret the signal, a multitude of signals, if there's five of them coming in at the same time, your brain will automatically prioritize them. Prioritize them. And hence, next thing you know, the dog breaks the stay and runs to the door because its brain put it in a priority. Ah, forget that stay. Let's go to the door. 
So in that case, you would have to then run through a new cost versus benefit type training and say, hey, I need to raise my signal, meaning you might want to stay instead of running to my door. And I also use the example, we've been using an intersection this whole uh, session here, this whole show, because we get it. You know, most of us are driving, so we get intersections. So this would be you. You're driving toward an intersection and you get a green light. So therefore, you just press down on the accelerator. You start to proceed to, uh, through the intersection. When out the corner of your eye, you see an oncoming car coming perpendicular to your car, coming from the other way at a high rate of speed. Now, if you've been driving for a while, your brain will interpret that as possible danger. And it will immediately prioritize your responses to the multitude of signals coming in. And next thing you know, even though you have the green light, it's you that is putting your foot on the brake and not the other car who has the red light. Welcome to prioritization. It happens. So, guys, if you're training your dog, again, it's not enough just to give the signal, but you have to increase it. And increasing can be done many ways by giving more motivation. Hey, if you do this, you get that. Or in a good way, you do this, you get that in a bad way. It's cost versus benefit. You just be prepared to raise the signal. You will see nature doing this all the time. You see dogs doing this all the time. I do. I deal a lot with fearful and aggressive dogs. I approach them. They look at me out the corner of their eye. Signal one. They, their body becomes taut. Signal two. All of a sudden, the lip comes up, and it's not their Elvis imitation. Signal three. They are trying to influence my behavior. And I am now prioritizing my response. I have an initial intention was to go and approach the dog and pet it. But now all of a sudden, I'm backing away. Guys, welcome to the world of signals. So in short, just as a summary, asymmetric, you send, you influence their behavior. You make sure the behavior is what your signal means. In other words, say what you mean, mean what you say, and make it happen. If you just keep that in your mind, you'll get this thing right every single time. And if it fails to respond, increase the signal, increase the motivator, or increase the other influencer, the consequence. That's how it works. Okay, guys, next week, we are going to go over training equipment. So now, again, we have in the past episodes, cleared up confusion. We've talked about mistakes. We've talked about communicating. And now we're going to talk about the proper use of training equipment. And then after that, well, we're off the train. We're off the teaching a lot of behaviors on this show. So I hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us today. It's been great communicating to you. It's been a lot, a lot of fun, a lot of examples out there. Tune in next week and we'll communicate to you just a little bit more and do some training equipment. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your week. We'll see you next time. Free. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild in Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it.